Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Anna. It's a pleasure to be here and to get to share with you today about peace. Um, I'm going to be sitting in a chair, which may seem pretentious, but <laughs> I was struck with the, um, the theme of storytelling and the power of storytelling as I considered our uh, liturgical passages this week. And so I thought this would be a fun way to try to create that space. I'm just going to open us with some prayer. Prince of Peace, God, thank you. Thank you for the words we've just been able to um, meditate on through Mark singing, um, or maybe we were able to sing ourselves. And God, I just, I'm so in awe of you and your presence with us. Your very nearness of being the breath even in our lungs. And Lord, I pray that as we gather today, as we consider where peace resides within stories, both in the Bible and in our own lives, in our own world, Lord, that we would be so aware of that presence of you right here with each one of us. Amen. Thank you for everyone being here this morning. It's great to see you all. Um, I just want to open us with a quote here. I'll wait for it to come up on our slide. So I've been um, in the midst of some Advent uh, readings and preparation, and this one struck me today. So we come to Advent with our weariness, full of longing, a world made whole. We come with our burdens, carrying more than our two hands can hold. We come with our flagging strength and our sometimes stubborn hope. And we shuffle forward, footsteps rasping through the dark. This is by a woman named Jen Giles Kemper. So I don't know about you, but this is certainly how I am feeling. Um, and when I'm feeling weary, my favorite thing to do is to curl up in a chair, to light a candle, um, to have some tea, which I don't have with me this morning, but, and to read a story or to listen to a story. And so this is what I thought we could do today. So I just invite you to get comfortable, whether you're here in the sanctuary. I know it's not the same as uh, being at home. Uh, and for those of you at home, feel free to get as comfortable as you would like to. And let's just settle in and draw close. Maybe take a few deep breaths and just become really present to being here with one another. Stories are significant. What we tell ourselves tends to be what we then act out or believe. Our community is also shaped by the stories that we tell, for better or for worse. And I think if we look around us today within our own lives, within our larger context, within um, the very large context of our world, we can see that playing out 
we can look at the narratives underneath what is happening. And I wonder how often do we see peace in these stories? It can often be very hard to find. In Advent, we gather together to remind each other of these flames, these little lights in the darkness of hope, of peace, of joy, and of love. And we remind ourselves of these things and also of the stories that um, we hold on to, where God has made himself present through these, um, these beautiful gifts of hope and peace and love and joy. And we do that because we need to remind ourselves that one day daylight is coming. Um, here in the Northern Hemisphere, we have the very real experience of darker, uh, darker days, shorter days. Um, and that's also true, I think, in a spiritual, um, spiritual context during Advent. I love that last part of the passage in Luke 1 that Mark read for us. Verses 78 and 79 say, Because of God's tender mercy, in the morning light from heaven, it is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. So this week, I was especially caught up in the story of John the Baptist, um, which we see in both Luke 1 and Luke 3. And that's where I thought we might focus today in um, looking for peace, looking for practices of peace that we can hopefully begin to put into our own stories. So we start our stories with remembering. In um, Zechariah's prayer, he remembers a God of goodness, of promises kept. And I think these reminders of God's goodness help ground us in our dark times. It gives us something to reach for. It sheds a bit of light where there may seem to be no clarity, no vision. It helps us realize where we are in a larger story as well. So for Zechariah, it was a very real um, miracle of his son's birth. Both he and his wife were quite um, advanced in their years and had not had children. And then they were given this gift. And so for Zechariah, it's very real, it's very personal, but he's also recalling the promises that God had made through the prophets to Israel in the days of um, their wandering, in their days of exile. So we catch a glimpse of God working in our darkness through the light of this promise of peace. I'd like to read another quote that I came across here from Brigitte Van Hustiet. God is our constant in a whirlwind of change. God is our strength when we are worn down by weakness. And God is our guide when we are not sure what to believe or who to believe. We need to shift our perspective from our current circumstances to him 
He is our solid ground. And anchored in him, we find contentment. So when life is dark, a little bit of light goes a long way. Um, I was struck by the feeling of um, power going out on a dark evening. And how in those few moments right after, there's a bit of a frenzy and chaos and confusion about what's happened. Until we remember where those matches and candles are where that flashlight is. And then we move to action, we find those things, we get some light going. And suddenly, it changes. <laughs> suddenly, there's an intimacy that we feel. And it's a gift we've been given that we wouldn't have really received or had the opportunity to experience if the power had just stayed on. So that leads into kind of the second thing. So first we remember, and then I think that actually helps us really consider our current reality. It's hard to tackle the depth of darkness and grief sometimes, especially if we haven't, um, if we don't have that gift of God's goodness that we can root ourselves in. So though at Christmas time, it's incredibly tempting to just think about the light, the excitement, the festiveness. Um, Advent is a countercultural reminder of the darkness, of waiting for the arrival of God, for the arrival of relief, for the, re uh, the arrival of comfort in our lives. And so we are encouraged to wait not passively, but in preparation in these dark times and in our grief. When we sit in our present reality and consider our heartache, our loss, the confusion that is around us, the pain in the world, it draws us closer to each other and to God. And this is where I find in Luke 3, um, verses 1 through 6, it opens with, um, I'll just read it here actually, that's a better way to do that. So this is from the New Living Translation. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Eturia, and Trachonitis, uh, and Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. I'm just going to pause there for a minute, guys. And um, let me just get back to my notes, sorry. So this passage starts out firmly rooting us in this very like political landscape of um, power, both uh, on a governmental level and also on a religious level. And um, throughout the Gospels, and we know in this time especially, uh, as well, the Israelites um, are often under rule um, struggling under the weight of their government or their leaders, be it um, kings or when they're in captivity. 
And especially in this context, there's actually a lot of heavy taxing going on. There's a lot of um, wielding of power, um, manipulation, different tactics that are keeping the Israelites quite under thumb. And I think in some ways we probably can relate to that. And um, becoming present to that reality, I think, is such an interesting way to start out this chapter. And I think it's an encouragement or an invitation for us to move into that in our own lives. Um, remember that this was an entire community, the Israelites, who experienced the same thing. They, um, they had each other to share this with, but they also had each other um, to maybe lament with or complain with, and that can really stir us up. Um, and often when it is in unjust, um, when the poorest amongst us are being um, taken advantage of, it is very good to become angry about what is happening. The other thing I see, though, is when we share our grief, it can lessen. We don't feel as alone. So we begin to see these places in our lives, in our societies, where peace really is needed. Where um, it's not just, oh, it would be nice if people got along. It's a deep, deep call against injustice. So we're doing this together. And as we see in Luke, God comes into this place. He sends John the Baptist into this place. And this is where we see a shift. So we've remembered and we've become very familiar with our current need and grief. And then God does something unusual, unexpected. This is certainly not who the Israelites would have expected to be the herald for their Messiah. Here is a man who's come out of the desert. So um, wandering in the wilderness, um, very much out of society. You can imagine this is a little unusual. And the word, um, the words that are used for the desert or the wilderness here actually have connotations of vulnerability, of uncertainty, being lost, being tested, being hungry, even being at risk or facing actual harm. And this is then echoed in Jesus' um, 40 days that he spends in the desert just before he starts his ministry. And so um, this is the place that John is actually coming out of. So he has been in a place of desolation. And God has called him into this place, into society of great need and pain and desolation in their own way that the Israelites face. And what does John say? He echoes words from Isaiah. And I'm going to pick back up. So I, um, yep, that's it. Sorry, I'm double checking. Yep. So then John went guys, place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, he preach, preaching that people should be baptized 
to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And all the people will see the salvation sent from God. So not only has he come out, to the, out of the wilderness, he is actually calling out to the Israelites now who are still in the same wilderness, though it looks different perhaps than they thought it would. And he is saying, let's make these rough paths smooth. Let's make these crooked ways straight. And it's very... Again, unusual. What does this mean? How do we do this? How do we even begin? And everyone is eager to know what John is talking about. And as Luke 3 continues, we see that this isn't going to be an easy task of smoothing out rough roads, of reducing hills and, level, and bringing up valleys to make a way, a way. The way may seem that it will be easy that we are making, but the making of it is not. And um, so here we are actually, uh, he invites people to be baptized, to acknowledge their fallenness, their brokenness, their, the ways that they need God. And this isn't necessarily what people want to hear. Yeah, and so um, I think of that with our own lives. We are um, we're invited to look not just at the dark places we find ourselves in circumstantially, but also at the darkness within ourselves that perhaps we haven't wanted to acknowledge. And um, we're called out of our privilege as well. He tells people, you know, when they say, well, how in the world do we do that? Do you have two coats? Give one to someone who has none. We're called out of our own privilege to give to others. We're called to connect with others and not stay in our tight little circle and in our own self-interest. And here I'd like to just read another quote. Um, this is from Timothy F. Simpson. He uh, is a political theologian. He says, John is not fearful of the powers at work in his world, nor was he pessimistic or cynical about their capacity to be redeemed. During this Advent season in which we are often thrown off our stride by the sheer weight of all of the stuff, which tends to blunt our senses of mission to the marginal, John's bracing word concerning what is most important in life and his example of sharing that word even with the people seemingly least likely to respond can remind us of the power of a message of a new kind of kingdom where love rules can break through even the hardest of hearts. And so what he's referencing here is the fact that um, so many of the leaders were taxing. So the highest, the emperor, was taxing. 
and then the governors were able to buy out a section to pay the taxes. Well, then they went to the people to collect those taxes and often collected more. But they didn't do it personally. They would get someone underneath to go. And so it went with each level, right down to the very present tax collector knocking on the door. They collected their own bit. And these are the people that came to John that actually seemed the most ready because they were the most ostracized. These tax collectors coming face to face with people deeply hated. So that's the context of that, where the people most aware of their own complicity um, tended to be the ones most eager to repent because they had no peace. This also reminds me um, of the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. This can be a time, especially in families, that there can be an attitude of just, let's keep the peace and get through this. And I think most of us who are familiar with that would have to admit that that does not actually feel like real peace. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of um, awkwardness pain and hiding um, of what you really want to say. Peacemaking can be terrifying because peacemaking requires being able to speak up about something that is upsetting to you. This is the kind of peace that we see in John the Baptist and in the ministry of Jesus. This is action-oriented peace, not, you know, suppressive peacekeeping. There's confrontation here, but it is decidedly without aggression, which I think is also very important. And here's where I think the ability to do that comes from. In confronting our own darkness and our own struggles, we are led to a returning, so a turning back to God to a God of grace. When I actually acknowledge something that I personally am stuck in or something that I am ashamed of, something that I want to change, if I go to God, I'm opening a door for his grace and his compassion to fill me. And when I've received that grace and that compassion, it changes me. It helps me build compassion for myself it helps me receive compassion from God. And this then can flow out to others. I have a greater strength to show compassion to somebody else. And I'm better able to be honest with someone about where I have hurt them and to receive compassion from them. And because my worth is rooted in God and my um, feet are planted in his forgiveness, it isn't reliant upon the outcome of the, or the reaction about the other person, from the other person. So I've released control. Um, Isaiah 40, verses one through five, outline this, and this is from the message. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says our God. Speak softly and tenderly to Jerusalem, but also make it very clear that she has served her sentence that her sin is taken care of, 
forgiven. She's been punished enough and more than enough, and now it's over and done with. Thunder in the desert, prepare for God's arrival. Make the road straight and smooth, a highway fit for our God. Fill in the valleys, level off the hills, smooth out the ruts, clear out the rocks. Then God's bright glory will shine and everyone will see it. Yes, just as God has said. And this is the passage that Luke 3 references. Um, this is the working of peace. When we do not come from a place of self-righteousness and judgment, but rather from a place of humility and compassion, we do not feel the need to control others or outcomes. Through offering peace and love, instead of showing our deep offense, we are inviting God to work in the lives of those who have hurt us. And this letting go is so important in peace. Again, it is not to say nothing matters. It is to say that we know ultimately God is the judge and God is working. And we can be agents of peace through this kind of um, reflection and turning to God and surrender. And in Isaiah 2, verse 4, this is uh, the New Living Translation. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train, train for war anymore. So we see here there's still evidence of conflict, um, but we are not jumping to attack one another, to seek revenge on one another. We trust that there is a larger power at work. We know that God is a just God, and he is the one who actually helps us mediate so that it does not have to come to such dire um, circumstances as war. So just as we wrap up today, I want you to consider your own story. Maybe find some time this afternoon or this week and look for peace, or maybe the spaces where peace is begging to be practiced. So maybe look, what does your life look like right now? Maybe summarize it in three to four sentences. Don't uh, try to write a life story. Are you waiting for something to arrive? Are you noticing a major disruption, uh, something strange happening? Or do you wish something disruptive or strange would happen? When was the last time you took a look around and became really present, especially to your own pain and grief? Are there places you realize um, need this peace to be made? Or are there opportunities where you are being called to extend peace? What will you do to pre press into these practices of remembering, of becoming present, of looking for those shifts that you're called into, and then of continuing to walk, trusting God? And of course, the stories are better shared together. Maybe you want to consider getting together with a friend or a family member to talk about this. 
and just creating space for compassion. In close, I just want to pray um, this prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, only joy. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful week ahead of you.